0: Hey, welcome to Orchard Hill and Perspectives. This is a podcast that we put out about once a month that addresses often current issues in our culture and talks about having a Christian or biblical perspective on the issue. Uh, Sometimes this is also a bit of a catch-all podcast, meaning it's a place where we have a chance, I have a chance to talk about some things that I don't really have a chance to talk about other places, but it might be of interest to you. And today I want to address really what I'm going to call objections to Orchard Hill Church. And here's what I mean by that is from time to time, I'll have people who either have never been here Um, have an idea of what Orchard Hill is like. And they'll say, well, you know, it's that kind of a church. I had this happen just recently. I was at a wedding reception and I was with some people who, from what I could tell, attended another church, had never been at Orchard Hill. And they had all kinds of ideas about what Orchard Hill was like and why it was a bad church. Uh, So some of them are like those kinds of objections. Some of them are from people who've been here at times been here for years, and then decide that they need another church, and these might be some of their reasons, some of their thoughts on why it doesn't work. And I'm not going to be overly polemic today, meaning I'm not going to try to go line by line and work through every last uh, objection with biblical reasoning. This is more me just kind of responding the way I would respond if somebody casually quickly said, here's here's what I think is wrong with or don't like about or wonder about at Orchard Hill. And just me giving some ideas. I've got a couple of these that'll be a little longer, but some of these will be short. And, and there's probably at least five. I might do a few more. I have a, more than that written down, but we'll see how long this goes. So one is around the issue of I don't like a seeker sensitive church uh, anymore, or never did, or I don't think it's biblical. One is, a uh, second one is, I'm really against the mega church. Mega churches are shallow. Uh, one is, the church doesn't do altar calls. Uh, another has to do with why doesn't the church take more hot takes or have stronger stands on political issues, issues of the day. And then another one that I hear from time to time is uh, Orchard Hill's so big it's just run like a business. Uh, so I'm just going to, like I said, respond to each of these in different ways. So let me start with um, those in reverse order because I think I can deal with them in increasing length as we go. And that way, hopefully you will be able to decide if you want to listen all the way through or hear some of this. So first one, uh, Orchard Hill functions like a business uh, rather than like a church. You know, somebody said that to me the other day and it wasn't even their objection. It was something they had heard people say. And my answer to that is, yeah, in some ways that's true. And that's true in a small church, by the way. Um, in any church, because there is a business element to any ministry. Ministry involves um, raising money, spending money, that's business decisions. Uh, You have to make value judgments. It involves personnel. Uh, And anytime you have people working somewhere, you can't simply have people deciding for themselves how they're going to do everything, uh, or you have no cohesion. In fact, my statement would be, if if the church didn't function somewhat like a business, and I mean any church, not just Orchard Hill, you would be irritated with your leadership for not stewarding the money that was given. Meaning if you just said, hey, youth ministry, you do whatever, we don't care how many kids come or how you reach kids or what happens with kids, you just do church the way you wanna do church. And you gave money and then we paid a salary and that person never produced anything, you'd say, Why am I giving money to a church that doesn't actually have accountability and some structure? So really simply on that one, of course, anything has some business and some elements. I'm not sure that business and church are that at odds. And what I mean by that is is to say basically that, that you either are a business or a church is to misunderstand really the nature of church. Obviously, I I assume what people mean by that is we want to be spiritual and not CEO-like in our thinking. And certainly, any church that is um, functioning as a church will make decisions at times that aren't um, savvy to the business side. Meaning, uh, um, there are times that you will teach on things that you know will irritate people who might otherwise stay at the church, but they may choose to leave. Um, and so there are a lot of decisions that you make that are horrible for business uh, in church because it's the right decision and it's what um, seems to be the right thing as we approach um, just how we we go about trying to honor God. So is the church a business? Is it too much like business? Could be, uh, but there's a lot of decisions that are made that are really bad for business. So, uh, his second objection, uh, and that is why doesn't the church take a stronger political stand or why doesn't it speak more to current issues? And I had somebody ask this in a roundabout way the other day and I actually went back and I looked at the last two years or so of teaching And here at Orchard Hill, over the last couple of years, directly we have addressed transgenderism, homosexuality. We've addressed women in ministry. We've addressed um, some of the issues around abortion. We've addressed um, sexuality and the way that that plays out in our culture. In other words, we've addressed a lot of the very current issues in our culture. So for somebody to say we don't address them, I think is 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 just plain false. But secondly, I I think usually what somebody means when they ask this question is, I have an issue that I really care deeply about and why isn't it addressed routinely from the front? Uh, Usually it's somebody with a very strong political view around some particular things. And what I would say is this to that, and that is the church should address current issues as the Bible addresses it in the weight with which the Bible addresses it. So for example, there's no question that uh, that some of the issues around sexuality today are really significant in our culture and the church needs to speak to them. But at the same time, I don't think that a church that's constantly doing hot takes, that's constantly doing political stances, especially political stances that are arrived at by inference rather than by direct statement, um, necessarily reflects the gospel. And and the gospel and the teaching of the Bible cuts sometimes against both parties. And I know if you're a hard partisan, you won't like that statement. Uh, You'll say, oh, no, 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 my party has it right. But there are things that the Bible says about caring for the poor and taking care of people that, that, that certainly sound more liberal in their take. And there are some things the Bible says about abortion, about sexuality, that sound more conservative. And so as a church, our goal isn't to just trumpet one side of the aisle or the other, it's to say to be a Christian sometimes means that you will go against your political party and it means ultimately that you will be responsive to wherever the Bible takes you. And as a church, our goal isn't to get people to think politically. Certainly we want them to think biblically about current issues and about politics and all of the things that are happening in our world, but it's to help people embrace faith and then let God begin to change their their viewpoints over time as the Spirit leads them as they come to study and understand Scripture. Now, again, that doesn't mean that that there won't be times to talk directly about every issue, but if if ever a church becomes um, synonymous with just one way of thinking politically— I tend to believe that that church has surrendered biblical authority for the sake of partisanship, and I don't believe that that ultimately is good. Now, I know. I, I know that there are some of you who say, oh, no, the, clearly one party is superior to the other party in our country right now in terms of biblical morals and the biblical calling, and and I do understand that. But again, um, I don't think coming to church to hear um, versions of cable news channels or podcasts with a verse is biblical exposition. I don't think that's what takes us to where we want to go. So, so, so that's my quick answer to that. Another objection that I sometimes hear is, "Why doesn't Orchard Hill do altar calls?" And, and this is, if you're not familiar with that phrase, is basically the idea of why don't we have people come forward and pray to receive Jesus? Why don't we do a more direct call and reaction. And um, I actually do have uh, some thinking on this that goes back a lot of years just in my own um, role as a pastor. So when I first started in ministry, I was working at a little church in the city of Chicago. And we didn't have uh, students. I was the student pastor. We had three kids. And so my job was basically to figure out not just how to minister to those three kids, but how to draw kids in to minister to them. So I did what I knew how to do. I did basketball. Soon I had 50 boys coming. And when you have 50 boys coming, soon you have 50 girls coming. And so we had all kinds of kids coming around. And here's what I learned uh, about um, students and preaching and ministry. And that is, I could stand in front of those kids and I could talk in such a way that I could get almost every one of them to raise their hand and say, I trust Jesus. I receive Jesus. I respond to the altar call. I'll come forward at this event and give my life to Jesus. And what I also came to realize is that a lot of those kids were no more saved after they did that than they were before. Now you can say, "Well, Kurt, that's because you didn't make it clear. You, you needed to really drive the gospel home differently than you did, or you know, you somehow let." And, and that could be. Like I'll freely admit that that my preaching wasn't that good. Uh, but what I learned when I watched that is I was giving kids actually false assurance many times about their sense of eternity by saying, "Just pray this prayer." and then you're saved. And and here's kind of my my thought process. If you read through the New Testament, what you see is that assurance of salvation is always based on current faith, never on a past prayer. Let me say that again. In the New Testament, assurance of salvation is always based on current faith, not a past prayer. And what happens in a lot of altar call kind of scenarios is people will say, well, because you prayed a prayer and you're eternally secure, therefore you are now a Christian. You don't need to worry about anything. You're good. And people haven't actually journeyed toward faith. And sometimes we ask people to actually make a a profession of faith uh, faster than they would buy a used car. Now, again, I'm not suggesting that we don't ask people to respond and that we don't push that. And I do often say today might be your day and do something that I'd call quiet response. But what I actually want people to do is to grapple with faith and to make uh, a, a faith decision that informs their current reality rather than simply says, I made a little decision somewhere and I prayed a prayer and now I'm in regardless of the state of my current heart. That is not Biblical faith. In fact, in Luke chapter 8, we see this because there's the story, the account of the parable of the soils. And one of the things that, that happens when you read through this is it says, a farmer went out to sow his seed and he scattered some seed and it fell along the path and it was trampled on and ate up. So that doesn't respond. Some fell on the rocky ground where it came up, but the plants withered as they had no moisture. Other fell among the thorns and it grew up, but it choked. And then if you read how Jesus interprets this a little later, verse 12, those along the path are the ones that hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word and their hearts, from their hearts, so that they, can, they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky grounds are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in a time of testing, they fall away. And the seeds among the thorns are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked because of life's worries and riches and pleasures, and they do not mature. And, and some people would say, well, okay, your job isn't to try to discern, just sow the seed. Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying, is because if you give assurance through your methodology that is, is not real, then you are causing somebody to say, I don't need to see if my seed grows. And, um, and, and so that's certainly worthy of talking about. I get that objection. And certainly if somebody wants to be in a place where every week there's come forward if you believe in Jesus and a mark on the chalkboard goes up on the sidewall every time there's, there's a conversion, um, then there's probably a different church for you. Uh, than Orchard Hill, because at Orchard Hill, we're going to emphasize current faith, responsiveness to Jesus, yes, but current faith. You know, uh, one of the interesting things on this, uh, for those who are real decisionistic, probably one of the most decisionistic ministries ever was Billy Graham, and certainly Billy Graham had some, some great response. I think when you're doing stadium evangelism, it makes sense, but do you know his wife never had a momentary decision of faith? One of her great, like, kind of things was that I just kind of knew I believed and I've always believed and I don't have a moment of faith. So here's Billy Graham, who was the the, the person who most probably pushed for make a decision today, and his wife never quote-unquote made a decision for Christ. So if your theology is such that somebody needs to make a decision for Christ, then Billy Graham never convinced his wife to actually come to faith in Jesus Christ, if that is if that is your your, your thing. Uh, so anyway, uh, all right, megachurch. You know, I, I've come to believe this is what some people say, that, that the megachurch is shallow and the megachurch isn't, isn't very good. A if you're wondering, is defined as a church that is over 2,000 people in weekly attendance. I did not know this until I looked this up. Do you know how many megachurches there are in the United States? Um, There are, according to this survey I just found, only 1,800 megachurches across the United States. I would have guessed there were way more. So, so there are only 1,800 churches with more than 2,000 people in weekend attendance. Orchard Hill would be a small megachurch. We are not. We're over 2,000, but we're not 10,000. The average size of the megachurch, according to the same article, is 3,500. So, so one your your character of megachurch is often that it is um, you know somewhat. Uh, this church of 10,000, and and the idea is that in order to have that many people, you have to be shallow. Here's how one person uh, writes about it. He says, the teachings at megachurches often contradict the traditional Christian concept of service and charity. Instead, megachurches encourage a selfish and self-focused view of worship. The members of megachurch congregations are often taught to focus on their own existence and problems instead of seeing themselves as servants who should help their fellow man. They are in turn encouraged to view God as a vehicle for their ambitions. This goes hand in hand with the prosperity gospel at the core of the megachurch theology, the idea that God rewards faith with material goods and success. So um, basically what that argument is, now I'm not saying that everyone who has this argument has this argument, but that argument is basically this, and that is The megachurch has to basically make it about people and their feeling of success in order to attract people. Therefore, it's part and parcel of the whole idea of of the prosperity gospel. Uh, Other people would say, well, it's just shallow by nature. It's hard to have relationship, some of those things. Now, here's what I'd say. Big, small, doesn't actually make a difference in how faithful a church is to the gospel. You could point to plenty of small churches that have abandoned biblical teaching and plenty of big churches that have. I think there's a matter of preference that does matter if you're a person who likes to know 100 people and not have maybe as quality a music program, maybe not have as many things for the kids and students, maybe uh, more of an extended family feel, then a church of 100 is ideal. If you like to be in a place where you know the names of a bunch of people, you have a little more, but you feel like you still, uh, you know, can be really connected to everybody, then maybe three, four, 500 is the best. If you're going to be in a church of a couple thousand, you're not going to know everybody. That is absolutely true. But what we have found at Orchard Hill is that with small groups, with, with, with a sense of mission, that there's a chance for, for the church to really thrive. And that just simply being big does not mean that, that we, or any big church, encourages selfishness or, uh, selfishness or that there's no community or that entertainment is everything in terms of how it goes about it. Now, that can be true, but again, that can be true in any size church. And so it's really about a preference. What do you like? In terms of church. And I don't think it's wrong to say, you know what, I'd prefer a smaller church to a bigger church, so that's what I'm going to look for. I think that could be a legitimate reason to change a church, just like I think it could be legitimate to say, I feel as if I've kind of run out of relationship and opportunity in this smaller church, so I'm going to look for a bigger church. Now, obviously, I don't encourage the idea of church hopping on a whole, but there are times to make a change, and that could be one of them. But to turn it into a moral issue, a spiritual issue, and paint with a broad brush is really an unfair characterization. So last thing that I want to talk about, and that is um, this idea of Orchard Hill is a seeker-sensitive church, and that somehow equates to the church not being the kind of church I want to be at. So we haven't used the word seeker here uh, a whole lot for probably 15 years, but um, Orchard Hill did have its roots in what was known as the seeker movement, which was pioneered kind of back in the 80s, 90s by Willow Creek, Saddleback, some of those churches. And when I first came here, and I still have the sheet somewhere, I I remember doing a a sheet that said the seeker model, and I forget what year, if i said 1993 or something, and then, or maybe 1989 when Orchard Hill started, and seeker ministry 2006. And I pointed out all the differences, and I taught it to the the church, because I said, hey, seeker that you have had isn't what we will have. And the reason we haven't used the word seeker for a long time isn't because we don't believe in evangelism or reaching people, but because it's come to have such a negative connotation among a lot of people, and because, It isn't really a fair description of of what we do when somebody takes a caricature and says, this is what this is. So here's another example. Um, Orchard Hill is reformed in its theology, Calvinistic in its theology. If somebody were to say, oh, well, you're Calvinistic, therefore you're hyper-Calvinistic, and now they want to tell us what we believe on every issue because they've put the label hyper-Calvinistic on us, that is what happens when somebody puts the label seeker on a church now, where they're using it to mean all kinds of things that we don't ourselves mean. And that's why I would say we don't use this label. Now, here's what I do think is true. And that is all churches are called to be evangelistic and all churches are called to build believers. And if a church says we only care about reaching unbelievers and we don't care at all about how we build up believers, they're not true to the Great Commission. We're to make disciples by evangelizing and teaching people to observe all. So so there's an evangelism discipleship component. And if a church says we only do discipleship and that's all we do and everybody else goes out from our church to do the ministry but we just equip, I don't think either of those is biblical. So as soon as you say the church has some responsibility to both reach people and to grow people, you are going to come off one of those poles somewhere in the middle. Now, now I'm not advocating that a church should be right smack in the middle of this, but what I'm saying is, is every church is going to make some trade-offs along the way in terms of how they go about ministry based on, on how they're trying to, to go on both sides of this equation. Um, and, and so it's a false dichotomy ultimately though to say you can only do one or the other at the same time and this is part of why i I reject this idea i have said this in our new members classes over the years but uh, in many ways our model became redeemer presbyterian church tim keller's church in new york city more than willow creek from a preaching standpoint not from a service standpoint because um, he was able, in my estimation, to teach the Bible in a way that a believer could grow and to speak to the secular culture at the same time. So it's a false dichotomy to say you have to do all one or all the other. Now, again, you're going, any church is going to make some decisions along the way um, to say how are we pitching what we're doing so that we um, appeal to the the To to, to a wide group of people because we want to be the kind of a church that that when somebody who doesn't believe comes, they can say, you know, I may not believe everything, but I, 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 I can hear the truth here because it isn't so geared to somebody who believes that I can't even hear it. Uh, At the same time, we want to speak to those who who have longstanding faith and help them grow in their faith. And our ultimate answer for this, of how this happens, is exposition, simply teaching the text. We believe that if you teach the Bible over time, it will speak to both believers and non-believers. Now, no single church service, no 30, 40, 50, 90-minute teaching can give everyone everything they need. And so, of course, there's a need for more than what anybody can get in a single sermon. Um, But having said that, I believe that when the Bible's taught, if you are a follower of Jesus, then you can grow from that teaching if you will apply yourself to listening and looking and studying the word with whoever's presenting. And I believe that when the Bible's taught, it speaks to our culture clearly. And so so, so when somebody says we're, quote unquote, seeker sensitive, my first thing is, wow, uh, we haven't used that word around here in 15 years. So where are you getting that? And secondly, what do you mean by that? Because usually what they mean is, well, you won't teach on hard issues. And as I've already said, we've taught on all the hard issues, or I just want something that feels a little better for me. But we want to be the kind of a place, again, where any weekend somebody can invite a non-believing friend who can be on their arm and can say, that made sense to me. I may not like it, I may not agree with it, um, but I, I could follow what you were talking about. Now, of course, there are people who uh, you know might be Christians for a long time and might not follow, I get that. And there are people who, who can follow all kinds of things wherever they are any church is going to have to make a choice and where it's going to pitch between these these poles and i think any biblical church has to take at least one step in on either side and then decide how many steps it's going to take the other way and the truth is that changes all the time because uh there are weeks where where you know you're talking about something that that is really hard for a non-believer to totally grapple with and all we try to do is say As we talk about things at Orchard Hill, we want to always remember that there are people who aren't totally convinced and encourage them to be able to take a step toward faith. So those are some of the objections that I hear around Orchard Hill. I hope this was helpful. If not, I'm sure you've clicked off by now. There's a lot of content at Orchard Hill Church uh, Plus uh, that's available. Um, Thanks for spending part of your day here with us today.